You know, our world has been moving through a pandemic, in, in case you didn't know. And it's a, a world issue, one that has touched all sentient beings one way or the other. Whole nations have been quarantined and cut off from each other, communities chopped up and divided. So, and two and a half years later, we're still wrestling with how do we understand this and respond to it spiritually. What do we do? What do I do with all the feelings that range from scared, afraid, angry, frustrated, confused, all the things that we experience and have been experiencing for a long time, it seems. Here's a story that may be familiar to you, and in it there is a metaphor that I think is helpful, at least it has been for me. Once upon a time, the students of an enlightened teacher were crossing the sea in a boat. The students were surprised by a fierce storm that churned the sea up. All on board had to work really hard to keep the boat afloat in the fierce waves and in the vicious wind. The unrelenting weather wore away their courage until at last they began to lose heart. And the storm on the outside caused fear to enter their minds and spread like dread. In their panic, they seemed to be forgetting the lessons that their teacher, their spiritual teacher, had given them about the power and the supremacy of inner peace. It's understandable, after all. Waves were crashing, the wind was howling, and things didn't look like there was any peace anywhere. Were they so wrong to assume that their life's path would be made safe if they followed the teaching? In their panic, they approached their teacher and found him asleep with his head on a makeshift cushion in the stern. Alarmed at his apparent disinterest in the imminent danger, they woke the sleeping teacher and asked, don't you even care that we are perishing? When the teacher finally was roused from his nap, he said to the students and to the waves, peace. Be still. And immediately the wind quieted down and the ocean returned to its former state of calm. Now the metaphor in this well-known story from the Christian tradition is to me that there is a presence that is quietly, calmly at rest in the stern of the boat, meaning deep within my consciousness, in yours, a presence that is beyond the reach of bad weather or unexpected or undesired changes in circumstances. 
I like the way Thomas Akempis describes it when he wrote, O oh Lord God, thou holy lover of my soul, when thou comest into my soul, all that is within me shall rejoice. Thou art my glory and the exaltation of my heart. Thou art my hope and refuge in the day of my trouble. <laughs> Had I not learned what I learned at Centers for Spiritual Living about that presence within me, and had I not had the example of great teachers and mentors, and had I not had the company of spiritual community, I too would have found it very difficult to believe, at times just like these and others, that there was such an inner refuge to which I could return no matter how the outer storm was raging. But I did learn about it like you and I did. I learned about an inner presence, and even though I may, may be like you too, forget it sometimes, and maybe you like me will sometimes become derailed by fear or frustration, I trust with you that there is still nothing more powerful than this inner presence to connect us and to guide our choices and to deepen our faith in each other wherever we might be and to give us the courage to declare that this world is nevertheless a beautiful and holy place to be in because of each other. We may not be the same when this pandemic is done. But what will be the same is our freedom to, number one, learn from our history or to repeat it. Two, the freedom to grow even closer to each other or to let the troubled times drive us apart. Three, the freedom to awaken even more to that presence within or to be rocked gently back to sleep. Our theme for this month is nature. And I'm thinking about... Um, the author Charles Eisenstein, which I shared with you once before, uh, talking about how he felt waves of helplessness and grief when the Amazon forest was on fire some three years ago. And he asked the question, what do you do with all of that grief energy? What do you do with it? And he concluded for himself that these are real and honest feelings and they can also function like a trap, a diversion, a detour that can make a person less capable, less helpful. The challenge, Michael says, and I agree with him, is that even when we successfully overcome an issue, and I trust we will with this pandemic, we are, other issues will arise to take their place. 
Because what hasn't changed is reality and also the mindset in us that causes some of the issues. Now, being a religious scientist, and that's what we call ourselves here at Centers for Spiritual, be spiritual living, a religious scientist. Being a religious scientist calls us to a very specific type of response to personal and world challenges. Our spiritual practice is to work inside our mindset. We call it our consciousness. And to create and develop a new attitude and a new response to the challenges. Oh, and that is something all of us can be part of individually. And it was especially true during those times when we were asked to shelter in place. That was something we could do. It's work in our consciousness. Now, you know, as well as I do, that some people did not have the option of staying home safely. I'm thinking of our first responders, medical professionals, law enforcement officers, and I'm thinking also of the shelterless. And today I'm thinking about the 22 million people in the Horn of Africa who are at immediate risk of death by starvation due to drought. And I'm also today thinking of the Ukrainians being bombed by a hostile neighbor. You see, I'm thinking today about people for whom working in consciousness and contemplating peace may seem out of reach a luxury that they can't afford. So for those of us who can, perhaps taking time to be still, to generate an inner atmosphere of peace and collaboration and compassion and harmony and kindness will always be important. Somebody may be depending on it, especially if it leads us to generous and compassionate action. In the upcoming weeks, we'll be revealing which nonprofit partners we selected for next year, and I'm so glad that many of them are related to food security. So then as a religious scientist, my practice is to raise the level of my consciousness and to get to the highest perspective of harmony, love, and collaboration that I possibly can when it comes to world issues. And to do that, I have to put down my grief, my anger, my resentment, my frustration, because it's not effective to take that into the temple of my heart, not if I want to create a solution. And if I'm not ready to put aside my grief and my anger or my fear or whatever it is, or if it's just 
too overwhelming for me to do it alone, I can get assistance. I could let somebody partner with me, like a prayer practitioner. I could use the spiritual support system available at our center. I could go to the after-service in-person prayer here in the North Wing. And then, when I am ready to go into the temple of my heart, I will discover what you will discover, that there, in that place, is where intuition is, where innate knowledge is. That's where I will find the prompt that tells me what is mine to do in this world. And what is mine to do must be different. It's not going to be the same for each person. I've had to learn that. I've had to learn to trust diversity and complexity and accept that there are different and conflicting opinions and ideas. I've had to learn to appreciate that it's all part of some unfathomable interconnectedness. I've had to learn how to give up making people do what I want. (laughs) Now, why am I telling you all of this? Because as you heard, the topic today is about the fuzzy and the slimy and the tiny and the scaly, and of course it's talking about all of creation. But I take it also as an invitation for me and for us to embrace all of life, just the way that it is and just the way that it is not. And while I'm doing that, to do what I can, to not let my mind be hijacked by fear. (sighs) Has your mind ever been hijacked by fear? No? No? Last week I was in Switzerland for the um, Center for Spiritual Living Geneva Conference for Region 12. Region 12 includes Europe and Africa too. So we had students graduating from Kenya and from Switzerland and from Ukraine where they traveled far by train and bus through guard posts to come to Geneva to get a certificate for completing a Science of Mind class. Oh, my goodness. We were sitting in Geneva in orchards and farmlands and vineyards, and the farmers in Geneva used shotguns to scare the birds and critters from the farmland So every now and then you'd hear the blast of a shotgun. And every time the gun went off, I noticed the response in the Ukrainians. And I imagined that that sound meant something different to them. It doesn't take a lot for my mind to get hijacked. I remember several years ago, I I was scheduled to have a medical procedure that scared me, and I was telling a friend about it, and I noticed I was trying to uh, explain how okay I was with it, but my mind had been hijacked. 
And so the word started to pour out of my mouth, and I started to speak like a fool at a fast rate, and I realized, oh my God, I'm trying to cover up my fear because my mind had been hijacked, and I couldn't even navigate a conversation. And this was not even from a real threat of war. This was a danger my mind was creating. I remember a verse in the book of Genesis in the creation story that goes like this. It's about creation. It's, and, you know, the creator said, Let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures. The slimy, the big, all of them. Let them swarm with swarms. Which makes me think of how my mind is when it's hijacked. Swarming with swarms. Not just one swarm. (laughs) Swarms of swarms. I'm going to love that phrase. Because to me it describes, well, the beautiful and the infinite capacity of the mind to do what it does. Swarm. And of course, the swarming takes place in the ocean, which is a symbol. The ocean is a symbol of something. It is a symbol of the still, deep, peaceful, ever-present, undisturbed presence, which at the same time includes and can have swarming. So what are you going to do? when your mind swarms with swarms. Well, my first suggestion is don't fight it. Take a pause and watch the mind doing what it does. Swarm. And then look for the place where you are okay at the same time. And then my second suggestion is this. To find that place where you are okay, look into the silence of your heart space because that is the place where you are okay. And when you look into there, something will happen. Christopher Fritchie will remember this, that many years ago I went to South Africa to visit my mother. And I went early ahead of the crowd. We were going to take 40 members of the community to Bali, and I had made a a meeting spot with Christopher. We were going to meet in Hong Kong, head to Bali after my trip to my mother. So it was all planned out. So in Johannesburg, I drove to the airport on my way to Hong Kong in my rental car at 10 p.m. just before the rental car office closed. I got to turn in the car, and then I went to the Cafe Pacific check-in counter, and it was pitch black. I had missed the flight. It was 11 a.m., not p.m., and here come the swarms. I'm stuck in a rapidly emptying airport in one of the most dangerous cities in the world, and I have no car, and I'm going to die. (laughs) The effect of being in a swarm is that you can't see. 
Have you ever been in a swarm? In Africa, where I grew up, um, sometimes we would be overrun by swarms of locusts. They would come. And you learn plenty quick. You better close your mouth. And if you're going to run, be careful, because if you gasp for air, they're going in. And if you run where you can't see, you're probably going to fall. You learn plenty quick. You've got to move, but you've got to stay calm. So at the airport at midnight in Johannesburg, I saw my mind a swarm, and I remembered what I had been taught, and I said to myself, take a pause, be still, notice your mind doing what it does, and then look into your heart space for the place. See if you can find the place where you are okay and ask, am I okay? Even in the presence of danger, even when I don't want to be where I am, even if I'm in pain, find the place, I'm telling myself, where I am okay. The psychiatrist David Viscott described it so well, saying, within you is an island of sanity, your best self. It is a source of power, a reservoir of strength. Your best self is found in, listen to this, your best self is found in acceptance, nurtured by simplicity, and maintained in vulnerability. My best self or my inner sanctuary is found in acceptance. Remember, don't fight it. Let things be as they are. Nothing more, nothing less. Then my best self is maintained in vulnerability. That means admit it. Yes, I am afraid. And then watch the swarm. You see, because the voice of the swarming mind is this. You're going to die here. You're going to not get what you want. You're going to lose. You're going to be left. You're going to miss out. You're going to. But the best self or your inner sanctuary has a different voice. And in Johannesburg that night, mine said, walk, knock, go to the rental office. You're okay. Nothing's happened. And so I did. I went into the dark building of the rental office and knocked on the door. And don't you know, one of the employees was still there and they let me in. They let me get the car. I managed to get to Hong Kong a day late. Nothing happened. Number one, when the mind is a swarm, don't fight it. Notice it. Number two, when the mind is a swarm, Look into the place of your heart where you are okay. And then number three, recognize a swarm for what it is, a surge of mental and emotional activity. And once you recognize it for what it is, that's when you and I can realize that there is already something inside of us that is aware that swarming is possible. It knows it. And this 
something inside that recognizes a swarm for what it is is not a swarm. It watches it. And then right there, that's where we can begin to disconnect from the, form, from the effect of the swarm and begin to not listen to its temptation because it's not the swarm that's dangerous, it's when I believe its voice. So who is it in me and in you that notices the swarm? What is it? Our founder, Ernest Holmes, describes it as a friend within who is closer than your shadow, a friend that anticipates your every desire and knows your every need and governs your every act, a friend that is the presence within your soul that animates you, a friend that is infinite, not limited by previous experiences, nor by present conditions or passing situations. I also like how he de describes that presence as the silent witness of my soul. There is that within me that is a silent witness of my life. Witness. See, the word witness implies distance. Distance between what is seeing and what is being seen. Something that observes and notices but doesn't participate. Something that has no fascination with positive or negative, cannot be convinced, cannot be won over, cannot be torn apart. I'd like to pause for a moment and ask you a personal question. You don't have to answer out loud. Why do you come to the Center for Spiritual Living? And however you answer that, and it's going to be different for all of us, I'm inviting you to add something to your answer today, and it's this. That there is a part of you, a witness, that sees your wholeness. And that part of you isn't on a path of evolving. It does not get better and it doesn't improve because it is in its original condition and it walked into the room with you and does every time you come. Like David Viscott said, within you is already an island of sanity. It's a source of power a reservoir of strength. Now, I started off early on talking about Michael Eisenstein, and he made a beautiful video when the Amazon was burning those several years ago, speaking from his grief. And he made a beautiful request to us that is applicable even now. He ends his video by saying, please do not take the bait offered that comes with life's tragedies and challenges. The bait that diverts us to hatred and blame, do not get caught up in it. Do not get caught up in despair. 
It's not that these aren't real and deep feeling responses. There are normal human responses for caring, but right now, as agents of change, we need each other's strength. Not to wage war, but to stay loyal to what we know in our hearts, to stay open to the prompting of spirit within, to develop a childlike optimism, to trust that there is a larger intelligence operating in life, an intelligence that is not separate, but one that runs its holiness through us when we turn to it, one that knows where and how to use you and me to reveal its wholeness.